Welcome to the Nature MI podcast. Here, we uncover nature-inspired solutions to the world's most urgent problems, like climate change and global pandemics. We talk with thought leaders and innovators who are taking their cues from nature, and we explore ways to unravel nature's deepest secrets. Now here's your host, a man who finds inspiration in nature on a daily basis, Dr. Victor Shamas. Imagine a day in the not-too-distant future when all of the products needed for a comfortable quality of life are made locally in your community, from locally sourced and recycled materials by farmers, manufacturers, and builders who are your neighbors and who are themselves able to afford the same necessities and comforts as you. Your community lives in prosperity and economic freedom. Everybody has time for leisure, education, and to take care of themselves and their families. If such a vision of the future comes to fruition, it will be because of the work of geniuses and visionaries like our guest today. You may not be familiar with the work of Marcin Yakubovsky yet, but I believe that his will be a household name before long. Marcin Marcin is the innovator behind the Global Village Construction Set, a collection of 50 of the most important machines for modern life to exist. These include tractors, circuit makers, ovens, power supplies, etc. When he set out to build these machines, Marchin wanted them to be robust, modular, highly efficient, low cost, and made from local and recycled materials. He wanted to create technology that can last a lifetime and not susceptible to planned obsolescence. As Marchin started to develop the designs and schematics for this global village construction set, he made those materials available free of charge to other builders, designers, and manufacturers. The idea was that anybody with a basic skill set could build these machines and use them in order to create a more resilient and sustainable way of life. The idea of open source hardware developed through a collaborative process is relatively new. Marchin's vision of an open source ecology allows people all over the world to work together and build upon each other's ideas. Like many others, I'm inspired by Marchin's ideas. His 2011 TED Talk called Open Sourced Blueprints for Civilization has had more than 180,000 views on YouTube so far. Many of the people who have viewed this video have actually gotten involved in the design and development of the Global Village Construction Set. Marchin and I sat down for a conversation on July 3rd, 2020. Our conversation was so packed with information and so interesting that I've decided to break it down into two episodes. Today, you will hear the first half of our discussion, and then you can listen to the conclusion in episode 13. As you listen to this interview, 
You might just ask yourself the same question that I've been asking myself, which is, why isn't this man on Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people in America? And now, part one of my conversation with Marcin Yakubovsky. Marcin Yakubovsky, welcome to the Nature of My podcast. We're really delighted to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Your work features this global village construction set, which is a, a technological vision that I, I'm excited to talk with you about. And then there's the open source ecology, which I see as a process. Maybe you can mm -hmm. clarify whether or not that's, that's a correct take. But what I'd like yeah. to start with is asking you a little bit about your, your overall vision, because it strikes me that what you are in the process of doing is creating a blueprint for a society that's more aligned with nature and that's more in balance in terms of yeah. things like abundance versus scarcity, cooperation versus competition, et cetera. I, wanted, I, I would like to, to know more about your overall big picture. Yeah, uh, great question to start with. Overall big picture. I mean, it's, you can say the technology part is kind of misleading because we're not really after technology, but as far as evolving to freedom, like in, we're talking about the very big thing. But at the same time, in order to have a democratic society, you need to have democratic technology. And I could get into how I arrived at that conclusion, but, but right now our technology is not really serving human needs. And that's one thing we need to correct. Uh, we talk a lot about pressing world issues. What are those? Well, certainly the technological infrastructure, the technosphere in general needs to serve people better. And for us, that's just minding our own business, open sourcing the blueprints for critical machines, production machines, and technology in general by, by taking technology and saying, that, hey, this is a modular set of items. It's got a bunch of building blocks like Legos. We're going to take those, which are, which, of the, which are about 500 elements about. We have the Global Village Construction Set, which is 50 different machines, but you can break them down further into more underlying uh, pattern language of about 500 items. We're saying, hey, uh, let's open source this. The distributed economy is, uh, is an idea that's, that's a good idea. It's worth pursuing. We live in a centralized world, and uh, we need to democratize things. We need to do a little better on some things, uh, namely correcting the last frontier of economics, which is uh, we've solved production. There's not, not a question of how abundantly we can produce and whether there's enough resources uh, because the sun gives us much more power than we need. Um, but the, the last frontier is the distribution of that wealth to all the world's people for prosperity. It's, so that's, that goes back to the freedom I talked about, which is uh, what we're after. There's also an ecological aspect, just the fact that you're referring to an open source ecology, which I'm not sure if the ecology you're referring to is the same ecology that I'm thinking about. But you have talked about ecocide and safeguarding the environment. So how yeah. do you see this movement being tied yeah. into those issues? Yeah, absolutely. So ecology refers to the integration of human and natural ecosystems here. So ecology is greater than the standard word ecology people use. People typically use that to refer to natural ecosystems. Here we talk about the blend of that plus the technosphere, which are all part of the greater ecology of how things work. So you have these 50 machines that make up the Global Village construction set. How did you come about this? How did you settle upon those 50 particular machines? 
Uh, well, you can go. You can actually see see the reference on that on the wiki, which is uh, the product selection metric. But when you think about it initially, when I thought about it initially, it's like, what are some of the critical enabling technologies that make for prosperity? So came up with a few criteria, such as has to be very important, such as a billion dollar at least as far as market. It has to be somewhat scarce in the sense that it's either expensive or hard to attain. Um, it has to be ecological and well, basically the that that's getting into the properties of the actual how we design things. But as a basic selection uh, metric, is a highly relevant technology. I mean, it's a huge market, and that would help the most people. And we looked at simply the critical infrastructure building tools, assuming that we need to survive and thrive, survive from natural resources. That's once again going back to the ecology. So what are the most critical enabling tools that take us from dirt and twigs into advanced civilization? And that's how the list was uh, come up with. You can look at the details of that on the product selection metric on the wiki. So there's a metric. Does that mean that the choice of the components of that construction set uh, can be modified or have they evolved uh, over time since you started this project? Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's, that's a good question because it's not like, Oh, this is absolutely it. This is the 50 things that are there period. It's actually somewhat like a business where the first thing you learn, you, you, you modify, you know, you, you start correcting things, but no, I mean, the system has been largely the same except for some minor tweaks in it. Like for example, we have added the house to that because that is the number one cost of living. It can be considered a machine or a technology or a <laughs> whole system. It's a more product system, but we added that for example, and took out like initially, for example, we had the, the boundary layer turbine as a as an e easy way to the, essentially the Tesla turbine in there, but we've since replaced that. So just little tweaks. But other than that, you've got machines for making energy, for producing technologies, for doing agriculture. To answer whether how, how fixed is the global village construction set, you learn some things, you might modify things. But the biggest idea there was actually to just get started. We know that we need to put shelter around us to have food to eat, have basic technologies to make for prosperity. So start by saying, okay, simply what are the most critical things and the best, best way to accomplish those things? So naturally things like a tractor or a computer controlled milling machine, a wind turbine or solar energy, other things like that. They're in this set. Some of the things that I looked for, especially things that were like either expensive or not easy to get or just maybe not well designed, just things that are gaps in our society. Now I want to ask you a little bit about the open source model for how these products are are constructed and evolve yeah. essentially. So, yeah. so it's the same idea as a, a wiki or any kind of an open source thing with software where a, a group of people, each person contributes something that and you build upon each other's work. Is that is that accurate? Oh, that's accurate. The uh, open source refers to a development methodology. It's essentially that whatever you're doing, you're simply leaving a paper trail of documentation, blueprints, documents that allow anybody to to see where you are, 
Uh, and then, then it comes into the licensing of who actually owns that information. And the licenses we typically use, they're Creative Commons licenses. But basically, they're saying you can do whatever you like with this. You can examine it. You can copy it. You can modify it. You can sell it. That is a big one. And actually, the, the definition of open source involves economic freedom, the idea that you can build upon this to make a living, which is mm. a great motivator for a lot of people. So these machines, uh, people could build them in their local communities, or I'm assuming they could actually purchase some of them from your organization. Yeah. So we publish everything online. There's a page of replications on a wiki. People have taken our blueprints, like for example, long time ago, 2011 or so, uh, 2012, first guy took downloaded our blueprints, completely independently built the brick press. There's been several builds of the tractor and other machines, but that's one way. And then we also actually sell them. We, uh, the way we, like for example, right now we're selling 3D printers that you can go on, on our website and click buy. We also have another way we sell things, which is through immersion experience workshops. And so that means we get a bunch of people to build the CEB press, the brick press, one-ton machine in a, in a single weekend. So we've learned how to do these collaborative builds, swarm builds with a lot of people where we not only produce the machine, but it could also sell it. So there's revenue both from the actual tuition or a product sale. And that's, that's the beauty of these. We see the, a lot of potential for this this kind of barn raising, Amish barn raising style kind of build model where you're helping one another. Like if you want to um, knock off the, uh, kill off the housing problem, let's get swarm builds to build, an, build a whole micro house community in a city for the homeless or whatever. Uh, so we're designing our processes for two routes. One is essentially for industrial like production and two, because we're making it uh, accessible, focusing on access accessibility, we're designing in such a way that you can build things with very simple tools and techniques. So, for example, on our printer, you can take that into a mega factory and start cranking those out, or you can put them into a small garage workshop and have the same efficiency, in fact, probably better efficiency in a small scale than you would in a larger scale. So we're designing it always. Designed for fabrication for us means that people have easy access to building these things, including swarm, like crowd-based builds. With the 3D printer, how much of these machines is being uh, built using 3D printing? So actually right now, strategically, we've, the 3D printer is actually the first product that you actually click buy on our website for. But the idea there is, uh, plastic is a very common material. It's like one-third the material economy. You know, there's plastic, there's steel, there's ceramic. Um, three, like metals, plastics, ceramics, kind of like biomass, maybe four categories of materials that everything is made of. But plastic is important. So the relevance of the plastic is that you can make parts for other machines. Like, for example, we use the, the 3D printers to print parts for more 3D printers. Or we can print parts such as the seat for the tractor or the control panel or the rubber tracks. Yes, that is right. We're saying, okay, let's take these printers from hobby entertainment to real production using recycled feedstocks. So that's one of the top priorities to develop the plastic recycling right now. Uh, so we can print our rubber tracks for the tractors. And that's 
completely doable. Now, if you buy off-the-shelf plastic, that's a little expensive. It costs 20 bucks or like 10 bucks a pound. That's very expensive. So once you can actually start making your own filament from waste stream, you're talking about a few cents per pound in electricity costs that it takes to process that plus your labor. But then you have affordable route to plastic for larger things like plastic, uh, lumber, larger things like rubber tracks, which are rubber is another form of thermoplastic that you can print. So, so to summarize, you're asking how is this 3D printer important for other stuff, I believe. Uh, yeah, it, you can make a lot of different parts, including very complex geometries, glazing like polycarbonate. You can print in nylon. You can print gears. So there's a lot of things you can do. Or if you actually, uh, 3D printing is a very generic process. If you put a, one technology is called wire arc additive manufacturing. It's basically taking a MIG welder or a welder head, put it on the printer, and now you're printing in full metal. Now that doesn't have that super precision, but you can definitely now talk about, you see the megawatt, uh, I keep thinking about this. How do we use this, uh, the welder-based 3D printer to build the tower of your wind tower, basically just going around and around and up and up, 100% uh, metal, technolo metal technology. So, so that's definitely useful for bulk parts, like gears or tractor parts or structural frame members. The parts of your machine, how much of the components are you making yourselves? Right now, not a lot. Like, for example, we buy, right now we buy everything. We buy steel, we buy plastic, and then the, but the whole mission is, is called recursion. It's technological recursion, the fact that you're starting to go, go back into the, the actual feedstocks. So uh, especially with the COVID right now, that made us focus on it quite a bit more. But the Global Village Construction Set does include things like here's your bioplastic bio production or things like bio plastic recycling, which you can take the abundant feedstocks or metal recycling with the induction furnace and hot metal rolling, we're actually making virgin steel from scrap plastic. Mm. We haven't gotten there yet. But that's definitely part of the agenda. So then with the CNC machines in the set, you can you can do precision machining to make engine parts. That's that's in the set. Um, but at this point, we're not there yet. We're, we, we've, we now buy parts off the shelf, but in the completion. So the 2028 is the cutoff for finishing all of this, which means we've got some good work to do. We're about 33% done. Uh, but that's all upcoming that we can make, literally, the advanced civilization from dirt and twigs under our feet. So I've seen that you uh, have one of the, these machines be uh, an aluminum extractor that actually takes aluminum yeah. out of soil. Right. The idea is then you could actually even uh, develop the metals yourself, the metal raw metal that, from which these parts are going to be created. And are you envisioning also a, a kind of a closed loop system where you can take the old parts, you can take the machines apart, recycle, reuse, reconstruct all the parts from them? The Absolutely. So, so we use a highly modular approach. Like, for example, if you look at our tractor frames, they're all this box beam tubing with holes. And that can be completely reused for other things, like a frame for a torch table, frame for a bulldozer, frame for another machine or anything else. So the recyclability, like on a modular Lego level, that's one. The other one is that you're taking that and melting it down. Three levels of recycling. One is, one is you reuse the parts by modular design like Legos. Two, you, melt, you grind them and 
shred them and melt them down, such as plastic and metal, steel, that's included. And then the third level is um, design for product ecologies, that the, which is kind of including the Lego approach, but design for product ecologies that one part feeds into another, another, like one part is a feedstock for another. Uh, so it's a complete, I mean, you, you said it, the circular economy, local material supply chains, which means that uh, I'm on a 30-acre farm. That means that even from the raw materials right under my feet, I can create entire civilization, and that's that's true. You've got aluminosilicate for making, which is clay, for making aluminum or compressed earth blocks. You have wood, out of which derives, as a chemist, you know that all of the synthetic chemistry comes out of biomass and carbon. You have things like sand. If you take silicon dioxide and reduce it, you've got silicon, which is the digital age. So that's all doable. And it's a question of access. So we're, we're basically saying, let's push the limits. What, let's do this experiment. Is it actually possible to do all that and do that efficiently? And the things that we've been finding out is that, as I mentioned in the, in the TED Talk, industrial productivity can be achieved on a small scale. So what are the limits of that? The idea is, first of all, you have modularity. So you can take parts out of one machine, insert it into various other machines. And then you probably, I'm guessing, don't have the issue of planned obsolescence that you see with commercial products. Like if I go buy a cordless drill out there and a year later I have to throw it away, I'm guessing that your machinery doesn't have those issues. Absolutely. So you, you took the words right out of my mouth here. I think the one of the greatest value propositions of open source is lifetime design. One, by the fact that you can know what's in there so you can take get replacement parts. But there are other aspects like designing it for disassembly, designing it for lifetime. So I think that lifetime design is a huge value. Uh, and specifically, um, it's interesting you say that because right now we're working out what would our lifetime guarantee look like on a printer. Because if you look at it, okay, the frame, that's steel. I can completely reuse, recycle the steel members. They're not even welded. They've got 3D print corners connecting them. And that's by design. So we can completely recycle both the plastic and the steel. Um, as far as the other components, we are because we're designing it for the minimum parts count, and maximum part interchangeability, the simplest parts you can get anywhere common off the shelf parts. Yes, that's an effective lifetime design warranty, um, which means, I mean, I looked at this like for, for printers, the warranties there are like one or two years. Yeah. Mark's, my experience with 3D printers, I've had some off the shelf printers that pretty much after a couple of years, okay, so it wears out, say the controller burned out. Well, it's like, a few hours just to take out the part that broke. Mm. You know, it, it just, by the way they're designed, because they're so complex, it's literally unfeasible to service them. And that's a lack of design thinking. Right. Same issue that I've seen in the tractor that started it all. It's the thing that when I took that tractor to repair because it broke, it takes eight hours just to crack the entire tractor open to get out, get at this part. And I paid 2000 bucks for the repair, broke it, broke again two weeks later. And I said, forget this. I cannot make a sustainable civilization. Like 
I noticed that pattern in society. It's like, this is crazy. It doesn't have to be designed like that. It is designed like that because uh, I would say in general, the centralized industry is very inefficient from, from various perspectives. And the, the efficiency of lifetime design, that's just not an, uh, uh, an equation for companies typically. So yeah, yeah, uh, lifetime design is a huge uh, positive point you get out of open source. The other part of design that it seems like engineering and a lot of uh, cor corporations don't do it, that you that you implied was they only design halfway through the process up until you're using it and the thing breaks down. Now there there's the other half of the lifetime of the machine, which is now what happens to those parts? Do they get mm -hmm. how do they get broken down, reused? Uh, so have you thought about? when you sell something that you basically will offer people that they can return it back when it's not working to you yeah. so that you can reconstruct, yeah. reuse, repurpose. Absolutely. And because we're using generic and always and designing things to retain their value, like components that can be taken out in their entirety. And basically you retain about 80 to a hundred percent of that materials value. Yes. So simply put, how about a warranty where for the rest of your life, as long as you decide, ship it back, we'll send you a replacement. That's where we're going. I think we can do exactly that. Do you see that the production of these machines will happen at a local regional level? Is, is that the intention that there will be small yes. factories, yes. Maybe, maybe garage uh, yeah. industry? Um, yes. Um, the generic answer to that is the open source microfactory, which is a community-based manufacturing facility. It's like a like a, the equivalent of the community-supported agriculture for manufacturing. So a facility, right now we have a prototype facility here that's about 4,000 square feet, but something on the order of under 10,000 square feet, where you've got advanced digital fabrication infrastructure, where you can produce just about anything, delivering the promise that's been laid out a long time ago by like Neil Gershenfeld from the Fab Labs talks about um, that promise, or Fab Cities talk about communities that that produce all they consume. Yes, uh, specifically, we're talking about uh, an ambitious plan after 2028 to to replicate massively worldwide, as in these facilities that have the microfactories an essential component. So 10,000 to 30,000, basically one in every city, basically getting to the equivalent of a Walmart. Instead of a Walmart, you've got a production facility where you can either buy things that are already made for you, or you can participate in that build experience if you want to learn more about it. That's, that's the model we're thinking. So that you can receive the training to actually develop the skills to build it yourself. Oh, man. And that's where it gets just beautiful because on our website, which we're going to put up pretty soon, uh, it's going to be you can buy product or you can buy production. We'll train you. You are our friend. There is no such thing as competition. The more mm. people are doing it, the more wealth is getting distributed and more development happens on a product. And that's, so that's going to be beautiful. And it's, it's so exciting. And one of the things that we know about ourselves as, as a culture is that people have lost a lot of skills, the basic yes. skills that you and I uh, can fix our own house, fix our own cars or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. For the most part, people don't do that anymore. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And the grant, grant, more grand trend I was just reading about this today is the 
financial financialization that's a term on wikipedia but basically we're we're turning from being real producers to symbolic analysts and financial people uh that's that's a formula for collapse uh, all the societies that have done that to date have collapsed um from the dutch empire to the roman empire so forth once you get um away from essential production that's that's trouble but it's just a very natural thing we are very much connected to uh, we have a yearning for being productive and fundamentally creative and there's no more powerful and easy way to access that by than by physical production so i think a lot of people are just very much hungry for it and that skill is disappearing like with the millennials um, new younger generations who don't get a chance they're just not taught to make things outside of more of the digital technologies are you seeing part of your vision is to create more literacy among the population in terms of mechanical literacy being able to oh yeah to, to do these things yeah, an, uh, i mentioned that we believe that appropriate technology or sustainable regenerative technology is a prerequisite for democracy you cannot have democracy without it i believe that a uh, prerequisite for democracy is a sound technological base i believe that a prerequisite for a sound technological base is a technologically literate public and that's actually exactly what we're starting right now we started the program of the open source microfactory steam camps but the goal is to create a collaboratively literate literate public that can design and build things on a massive scale that means not not something that now your dirty job workers and some other people do but something that's that's acceptable to the more white collar people that's still exotic and interesting uh as the production comes back into communities from the remote uh remote centralized production facilities it can be it has to happen because that's the only way we're going to start caring about the environment right. because we just relegate that to far away we don't care what happens there it's not visible part of that transition to circular economies is ecological integrity because we cannot soil the the nature that provides all this to us so that's why economic localization you've said on your website is a path to safeguarding the environment it's because oh. if we're making this locally we have we can't do it in a way that spills toxins into waterways or damages the environment in any number of, of ways right i mean we're living with it that's exactly right and it's simply introducing a a direct feedback loop regarding the true cost and true effect of our technological usage that has to be visible so we're pr producing transparency like in our mission a world of collaborative design for a transparent and inclusive economy of abundance that is very exciting marchin so i know you have you have written this because you wrote it to me in an email you wrote yeah. ose specifications are essentially natural law and that <laughs> statement intrigued me very much and i'd like to know what you meant by that natural law i mean there are some natural laws such as i don't know like gravity or the fact that nature like if you look at where wealth comes from it's from nature right all the resources that we have the rocks sunlight plants soil water all the economy comes from that uh so natural laws that's like natural law that's we have to start caring about the environment 
we have to start designing technology the way, okay, so technology is the way we take that environment and turn it into what we're doing right now, into this computer that we're sitting on. Uh, so that question of law comes natural law. Following natural law means following more natural principles of how you do things with technology. Technology means economic power. Economic power leads to the legal system and so forth. So there's this whole loop of, okay, there's, there's nature, there's technology, there's economy and politics. Where I think if you talk about the governance, you got to start at, here's nature, here's how we take, take care of nature and how we follow its principles to create our technological system, which then creates our legal economic systems. So that means things like lifetime design, ecological design, uh, just like in nature, biomimicry or uh, the things that there's no such thing as waste. I mean, those are just basic principles. It all derives from natural law, how things work in nature. The idea of no such thing as waste, that's a huge challenge. I mean, this technology we're, we're on right <laughs> now is going to end up in a landfill. And some of those materials that made up this technology uh, is really precious minerals that were yeah. extracted yeah, yeah. from the earth and that, yeah. that were extracted at a very high human cost, not to mention uh, ecological cost. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you see this vision of yours as being able to, down the road, resolve that, where there really is no yeah. waste? Oh, absolutely. It, that's just a mind shift. It's a mental construct, this concept of waste. We created it. We can get rid of it. Uh, you also mentioned it's my my thing it's, this is not mine i'm just borrowing from all the giants that came before about people who created technology who created ideas like democracy or invented electricity or whatever uh, so this builds upon all prior knowledge uh, but the thing is if you study chemistry well chemistry uh, green chemistry says that any any chemically destructive process you can do you can do in an, in an ecologically sane way and that's happening. Smart businesses, businesses that are eliminating waste are starting to do that. Um, it's a complete choice we have. I could point to some examples like, oh, plastic. Well, the plastic example, all the plastic that ends up in a, in a waste stream. No, you take the shredder, grind all your stuff, all the waste, which is going to be like 50% of your garbage. Okay, so take a look at your garbage. Biomass goes in your compost heap. Plastic goes into the plastic shredder, makes plastic filament that you can turn into plastic lumber or some other useful good, like the casing for the computer you're using or a cordless drill. The rest, metals. You melt them down, recycle them. What's left? Nothing. It's like there's biomass, there's plastic, there's metal. Then you've got pretty much all your Garbage. So part of the deal for our campuses, the OSE campuses, like this is our prototype campus of 30 acres, which is in progress. We don't have a campus yet, but let's do that. We, we're building soil now. We're uh, making useful products. We're recycling the ma metals to more machines. Uh, so the idea is how do we make that easy? How do we make that practical? It's, it's completely doable. Um, so yes, absolutely. The question, the the answer there is, it's a piece of cake. I mean, it just requires for us to, to comprehend that, hey, let's do it. Why don't we do this? So that means we shift away from whatever others are telling us that it's impossible or just a mental model you just said, which is, oh, it's not possible to have 
No waste. Ridiculous. Nature does it. We're part of nature. Let's do it. Thanks for listening. Please check out the program notes for links to Marchin's work, including his 2011 TED Talk. You may also want to check out the Nature MI blog at naturemi.com, as well as my personal website, victorshamas.com. Please check out the conclusion of this conversation at naturemi.com. That will be episode 13 of the podcast. Until the next time, stay tuned, stay well, and stay inspired. You have been listening to the Nature MI podcast. To learn more about what we're doing to bring humanity more into balance with nature, please visit us at naturemi.com. We also welcome your ideas and feedback. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, let us know about your nature-inspired solutions and strategies. Thanks for listening.